This month we're going to be talking about fellowship, and today I'm going to kind of be talking about the opposite of fellowship, which is isolation. Would you turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 1? Mark chapter 1. We're going to read verses 40 through 45. I'm going to start reading in verse 40. A man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus was filled with compassion. He reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said. Be clean. Immediately leprosy left him, and he was cleansed. Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. See that you don't tell this to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer the sacrifice that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Instead, he went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news. As a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places. Yet the people still came to, came to him from everywhere. And then Psalm 68, 6, God sets the lonely in families. I'd like to talk to you this morning about lonely places. <clears throat> in this story that I read, um, one of the first things that sticks out to me is that the story is about this man, and we don't know very much about him. In fact, we know so little about him that we don't even know his name. We don't know this man's name, but we do know his condition. We do know about his issue. We know about his problem. Sometimes your identity can be consumed in your issue. You can become more known by what's wrong with you than who you are or who you have the potential to be. You've lost your sense of identity, your sense of worth, your value, and you've become wrapped up in your issue. Has that ever happened to you? Have you ever lost your identity in your issue? People usually have a, a tendency to um, a tendency to over-identify with their talents or with their issues. And here we have this man with leprosy whose name has been consumed by his disease. A man who's been forced to live on the outside of society, forced to live on the edges, on the outskirts, removed from human relationship and interaction, forced to live in loneliness. We learn about the laws that apply to people with leprosy in the book of Leviticus, and there's tons of laws that apply to people with leprosy. I'm going to tell you a few of them today. Someone with leprosy has to wear torn clothes. They have to leave their hair messy. They have to cover the lower half of their face. Anytime they see anyone, they have to cry out, unclean, unclean. And they must stay on the outside of camp. They must live alone. The worst part of leprosy is not the physical torment that someone goes through. The worst part of leprosy is the emotional pain from isolation. This man with leprosy came to Jesus, and in coming to Jesus... He broke every law that applied to him. He didn't announce unclean, unclean. He didn't even keep the appropriate distance away from people. Someone with leprosy, uh, from where I'm standing, should, ha should have stayed in the parking lot. They would have never even been able to come in here, but this man broke that rule. This leper had a condition that's different than most of us. This leper had a very visible exterior condition. Most of us don't have sores 
on our skin. But we do have spots and sores on our soul. We have spots of insecurities and fears, secret sins, all kinds of secret spots. And the thing with these secret spots is you can still come to church with these secret spots on your soul. But the leper, once a leper was healed, they were allowed to come to, come to the synagogue, but they had to stay in this place called the leper's chambers, which was like a curtain that the leper had to stay behind. And us, with our secret spots, we can come to church, but so many times we stay hidden behind a curtain. The thing with secret spots is they're effective in, or sorry, the thing with this curtain, this screen that we hide behind, is it's effective in one way. It's effective in that it stops other people from seeing us as we really are, so we can hide ourselves. But the problem is it also stops us from seeing God as he is. You come to church, but you don't really let the presence of God touch your life. It's like you keep this screen between you and God and between you and people. That screen that we keep in front of us is almost always based in shame or pride or some combination of the two. We hide behind all kinds of secret screens. Some of us hide behind screens like this guy right here. We create a digital persona of ourselves. We paint a picture of what our life looks like online that's actually different than what it looks like in reality. And we hide behind the digital persona that we create. I want to ask you this morning, what kind of screens do you have a tendency to hide behind? Maybe screens of having it all together. Maybe screens of success. You can even hide behind good screens. You can hide behind screens of like serving at church or screens of being a mom or a dad. Some people hide behind screens of independence. Some behind screens of their profession or intelligence. And some of us are literally hiding behind cell phones. Hiding from genuine human connection and embracing a life of isolation. This man heard about a man named Jesus that was casting demons out of people. And he said to himself something that would be really good for us to say to ourselves: Maybe if he can do it for them, he can do it for me. This man was struggling with leprosy, but I believe he was also struggling with an internal condition that's much more common than we like to realize or pay attention to. I believe he was struggling with hopelessness. I think hopelessness is actually a much more common human condition than we would like to admit. I would say that probably all of us have been hopeless um, at one time or another. And the thing that took this man from a place of complete hopelessness behind his screen to just opening the door a tiny bit in his life to saying, maybe God could do something in my life, was staying within earshot of what God was doing. He had heard about Jesus casting demons out of these people. This is one of the most important reasons to come to that we ask people to come to church. Um, people say things like, I don't have to come to church to be a Christian, and that might be true. Or I have a busy life, and I don't feel like getting up to go to church, and I understand that. But the thing is, when we come together, when we come to church, we get to hear about what God is doing in other people's lives. And when we hear about what God is doing in other people's lives, it can crack open the door just a little bit to say, maybe Jesus could touch my life. Maybe he could touch me in my place. If he could cast the demon out, maybe he can heal my skin. 
This man decided to come out from behind the screen. He decided to come out from behind the shame. Anyone who makes a decision to do anything like that, I bet they would tell you the first step is the hardest. I bet deciding to make that first step and say, you know what, I'm going to break these rules that apply to me, and I'm going to come out from behind this screen, come out from behind this shame, was the hardest. But the leper decided something important. He decided the danger of isolation was greater than the danger of intimacy. And that wasn't just an arbitrary thought. He had been in isolation. He understood about the dangers of isolation. He knew about it all too well. That was his life. But he looked at that and he said, you know what? I'm going to come out. What The scariness of coming out from behind this screen isn't as scary as what's going to happen to me in isolation. The man worked his way through the crowd, and he came to Jesus. He worked his way past the people, people that were probably looking at him, staring at him, thinking all kinds of things about him, and he made his way to Jesus. And he said, here I am, Jesus. I know I'm unclean. I know I shouldn't be here. I know I could get myself killed for trying to bring my defiled self up in here. But I have a little bit of faith. I have at least enough faith that I showed up, Jesus. He showed up to the synagogue, much like we show up to church. How many of you know that you can come to church and you can still not get healed? You can come to church and still not get the touch that you desperately need from Jesus in your heart. This man went through a journey. He went through a process to come through the crowd and get to Jesus, but it was the last step that he took that got him healed. The scripture said he bowed down on his knees and he begged Jesus. We can come to church and we can sit there in a position of pride and have pride in our heart and we can still miss out on what God has for us. The man said, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And I don't know about you, but for me, uh, this is the part of the story that I personally have been wrestling with. He said, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Jesus, I know you can do it. It's not a stretch for me to stand on the top of a mountain and look out at God's creation and see that God is powerful and amazing. I mean, I look out at this beauty and it's like, wow, it's incredible what God made. He's so huge and so powerful. He made all of this. It's not a stretch for me to stand on a beach and look out over the ocean. It looks like it never ends. It looks so vast and huge, and it reminds me how vast and huge my creator is who created this earth. That's not a stretch for me. What's a stretch for me sometimes is to say, I know you can do it, God, but are you willing? Will you do it? God, will you heal my body? Will you touch my broken heart? Will you heal this insecurity in me? Will you speak the truth that drives out the lies that I believe? Will you help me get over this addiction? Can you redeem my life? Will you drive out my doubt? Will you open my eyes so that I can see you? It's not hard to believe that God is great. Lots of people believe that God is great. But do you believe that God is good? I know that he can do it, but will he do it? Jesus reaches out his hand, and he touches him. Touch is risky. Close relationships are risky. 
Most, most of us stay in a place where we'd rather keep a screen between us and everyone else, keep them at their safe, comfortable distance. But Jesus reaches out his hand and he touches the man. Jesus, out, Jesus reaches out and touches this man with a disease. One of the other things that we learn in the book of Leviticus is that when the clean touches the unclean, the clean becomes unclean. It makes sense. Like if you take a white shirt and you rub it on the ground, the ground doesn't become white. The white shirt becomes dirty, right? But what happens when you take unclean, when you take this defiled man and you touch it with the one sinless, spotless, perfect Lamb of God. When unclean touches Jesus, Jesus does not become dirty. The unclean becomes clean. The reason that's important to you and I is Jesus is not afraid of catching what we have. He's not afraid of catching our disease. He's not afraid of touching us. In fact, it's his pleasure to reach out and touch our lives. Jesus reaches out and he touches the man. And he says what would have become my three new favorite words in the Bible. He says, I am willing. I am willing. We used to have a poster in our church that hung in the stairwell, and it had all kinds of names of God on it. It said, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I am the bread of life. I am the chief cornerstone. I am the door the everlasting father, the, I don't know the rest in the alphabet, the prince of peace eventually. All these names of God, right? And these are all these names of God that are in the Bible. No one ever told me that God's name was willing. I've never heard that name of God before. But God says, I am. In the Old Testament, when God sees Moses, he says, I am willing. When he sees this man, he sticks out his hand and he shakes his hand. And he says, nice to meet you. My name is willing. I believe that Jesus wants you to hear from his mouth this morning, I am willing. Some of you have been in a place where you've been wrestling with wondering, is God willing? I know he's great, but is he good? This morning, Jesus wants to reach out his hand and shake your hand and say, hi, my name is Willing. Jesus' nickname is Will, who knew? Verse 41 says, Jesus was filled with compassion now, this, uh, this scripture was written in Greek, and we've all heard that when things get translated from one language to another language, something can get lost in translation. And what we mean by that is something that made sense in the first language might not necessarily make sense in the, in the second language, so it might not translate, and we, it might lose its meaning. So this verse was, was translated to say, Jesus was filled with compassion. That's in the NIV Bible. The NIV Bible is overseen by a group of translators, um, and they get together regularly, and they look, at, uh, they look at all kinds of scriptures that are troubling to them. Any scriptures, they don't like the translation of it. They say, you know what, there's a, a different way this could be translated. So in 1984, that group of translators got together. They looked at this portion of scripture and said, Jesus was filled with compassion. And then in 2011, they got together and they looked at a number of portions of scripture that were troubling to them again. And again, they looked at this portion of scripture again. And this time they retranslated it. Does anybody have an NIV Bible that was translated anything different than Jesus was filled with compassion? Has anybody got one? 
No, nobody's got the NIV Bible? Okay. The NIV Bible in 11 was retranslated by this group of men to say Jesus was indignant. Jesus was indignant. So if you told me that they were going to take Jesus was filled with compassion, they were going to retranslate it to say something else, I might think they might pick like Jesus was sad or something like that. Like filled with compassion, we don't really use that phrase anymore. Maybe that doesn't really relate to people as much anymore. But they said Jesus was indignant. Indignant is like a completely different word. It's actually not even similar to filled with compassion. Indignant means mad. It means angry. It means enraged. So was Jesus filled with compassion or was he indignant? So I looked at that difference and that bothered me. And I was like, what's the deal with that? So I decided to look it up in Greek. And I saw what the problem was. It was one of those things that doesn't translate very well. If you look at it in Greek, and if you were to do a direct from Greek to English translation, the translation would be, Jesus felt it in the bowels. So I read that, and I was like, does Jesus have gas? Like, what does Jesus felt it in the bowels mean? And I thought about this story that Pastor Chris has told you about uh, the day that he, his daughter, Jennifer, got in a car accident. And sometimes when he tells that story, he says, my wife and I felt like we got kicked in the gut. How many have ever heard some horrible news, like the worst news you possibly could have heard in this situation? You say, like, I felt like I got kicked in the gut. You guys know what I'm talking about? You don't actually mean you felt like you got kicked in the gut, because if you've ever gotten kicked in the gut, you know that's actually a completely different feeling altogether. That's really not what you felt like. But what you meant was, you felt it in the deepest part of you. In the deepest part of you, you felt the emotions that you were feeling. Oftentimes when people try and explain to you those types of situations that happened in their life where they felt like they got kicked in the gut, they have a hard time finding words to even describe what they were feeling. What Jesus was saying here was Jesus felt it in the deepest part of him. Jesus felt emotions and feelings that were the most passionate and intense emotions and feelings he could have felt. And he felt it in the deepest part of him. Why does that matter? Well, when you study leprosy, you find out that one of the first signs of someone who has leprosy is they lose the ability to feel. They lose feeling. They go numb. They stop being able to feel anymore. So here we have this man who's lost the ability to feel. This man who can't feel anymore. And he's being touched by a Savior that is literally feeling for him. He's being touched by a Savior that feels it in the deepest part of him. He's being touched by a Savior that has feelings and emotions that are so intense that when the foremost group of experts that translate from Greek to English, when they look at what Jesus was feeling, they can't even decide what the feeling was. The feeling was so intense that at one point they're like, he was filled with compassion. And then just a couple years later, they're like, no, it was rage. And I bet you if they get together in another five years, they're going to find another word because the feelings that Jesus was feeling were so intense. And he's now touching a man who can't feel for himself. I wonder how many of us have lost the ability to feel. Stuck in a place of isolation when we're called to be a part of the family, I wonder how many of us 
have started to go numb. You watch other people go through hard things in their life, sad things, devastating things, and you watch the people walk through it, and it's like they're wrecked, like they're devastated, they're crushed, and they're sh they should be, because what they're walking through is horrible, and it's awful, and the feelings and emotions that are coming out of them seem appropriate for what they're walking through. But then when you go through something like that, you might be sad, you might shed a tear, but you just don't feel it in the same way. It's like you sit there and it's like, there's something wrong with me. I don't feel the way that I should feel, or I don't feel at the level that I should feel compared to the situation. You go through, you watch other people go through really joyful and exciting times in their life. And it's like they're overjoyed, like joy is spilling out of them, like they're bubbling over with excitement and passion. And you go through something exciting, you go through the same situation, and it's like I should have this response, and I should have this feeling, but I just don't seem to feel it in the same way. I'm not joyful in the same way as those people. It's like my feelings are broken. I can't feel what I'm supposed to feel. Some people go through difficult situations in their life. They go through painful situations. Let's say someone had like a, a painful relationship, like a broken relationship or something like that. And they're like, that hurt so bad. That was so devastating. That was so painful that I don't want to ever feel that again. I don't want to ever feel that pain again. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to like shut off my feelings in this one area of my life. I'm going to set up this like protection mechanism so that I don't have to feel that pain again. And what we miss out on, what we don't realize, is that we're whole people. We're integrated people. You can't just shut off your feelings in one little compartment of your life and expect to have healthy, appropriate feelings in another area of your life. When you shut down your feelings in that one area of your life, you ended up shutting down your feelings altogether. And now you find yourself in a place where your response to the joyful situation isn't at the level that it should be, and you realize there's something broken inside of you. You're numb, but you don't know why. I heard a story about this man. It was a man who uh, went to war, and this man survived all kinds of crazy things in wars. He, he went through, like, some of the most insane situations I could even Im I can't even imagine. Uh, I'll tell you two of the stories. At one time, uh, this guy was doing surveillance with a group of 15 other men. They were watching a, a their enemy, and their enemy found out where they were, and they surrounded them before they could know it. They knew it before they knew it, and the enemy shot every one of these 15 men. This man include this man included. And the enemy came and grabbed all the bodies, and they put all the bodies in a pile to make sure that everyone was accounted for. And this man was on the bottom of the pile. They thought he was dead, but he wasn't dead. He was bleeding to death, and he stuck his finger in the hole in his side from the bullet to stop himself from bleeding. He waited till all these men left, and then he crawled out from under the, the uh, pile of bodies, crawled into the weeds, and waited, made his way back to, to their camp, and he lived. Crazy. All, that was like one of like 50 stories from this guy. Another time he was captured, and they took him as a prisoner, and they kept him for, I think he said, like six months or something like that. He, I don't think he had eaten at all during that time. They give him, like, water once in a while. 
he had like wasted away to almost nothing. Like the picture of this guy is like, it's unbelievable. Like he looks like there's nothing left to him. So he is him and his friend, they came up with this plan for how they were going to escape. And it worked. They escaped this prison that they were in. And him and his friend are running through the jungle trying to get away from these guys that are chasing them and shooting at him. His friend gets shot right in front of him. He keeps running. He gets to the edge of this cliff. He looks over the cliff and he's like, there's nothing. I'd rather jump off this cliff than go back to where I was. This man had a relationship with the Lord and his relationship with the Lord got even deeper while he was in prison. It was like he, as he was in a harder place, he got closer to God. So he got down on his knees on the edge of this cliff and he said, God, I'm going to see you in a couple minutes. I want you to promise me I'll take care of my wife and my kids. And he stood up and he jumped off the cliff. Miraculously, he lived. So like he jumped off the cliff expecting to die. He lived. He had all kinds of uh, injuries and broken bones from this fall. One of the lasting injuries that he had that never seemed to heal was he lost feeling in his left hand. His left hand went numb. He could still move his hand. He could still use it, but he couldn't feel anything. So the man came home from war, was reunited with his family. A few years had gone by. He was working a job in a factory. It was a year much like 2018, where winter just hung on forever, and it seemed like spring would never come. But spring finally came, and he was driving home from work, and it was warm out. He had the window down in his truck, and he smelled one of his favorite smells, fresh-cut grass. So he said, I'm going to go home, and I'm going to mow the lawn. So he went home, and he decided to tune up his lawnmower before, so it would be good to go for the season. He changed the spark plug, and he put a, a new air filter in it, and he put new oil in it, and they took the blade off to sharpen it. He went to put the blade back on. When he put the blade back on, he was holding the lawnmower deck up with his left hand and tightening the bolt to hold the blade to the deck with his right hand, and he got a cut on his hand, but he didn't know it because he couldn't feel it. It was a small cut. It wasn't even actually a big deal at all, but he got this cut on his hand, and he couldn't feel it. He went, and he mowed the lawn, didn't know he had a cut. He went in, took a shower, still didn't know he had a cut. A week later, he thought he came down with the flu. So he called in sick to work. Calls in sick to work, says, I feel horrible, I can't come in. They say, okay, come in whenever you feel better. That whole week, he didn't feel better. He laid in bed, he just felt awful. The following week, he went to the doctor. The doctor says, you need to go to the hospital right away. They went to the hospital, they found out he had a systemic infection. The infection got in his heart, and 30 days after he mowed the lawn, he died from an infection in his heart, from a cut that he got on his hand that he didn't even know was there. He couldn't feel it. I wonder how many of us have cuts on our soul that we don't even know are there. I wonder how many of us have gone numb on the inside and we can't feel these cuts from life that are happening on our soul. This man became infected. I wonder how many of us used to have life that we would offer to situations. I wonder how many of us used to have hope that we were offering in situations. How many of us had peace that we could offer people? How many of us had joy? But now the thing that's coming out of our life is just cynicism. We're just critical. We pick people apart. We pick things apart because our life has become infected. In the next chapter, the religious leaders are kind of trying to trap Jesus. They've gone so numb, the religious leaders, they've gone so numb 
that all they can talk about is what day of the week Jesus healed someone on. What day of the week he could heal them on. These are like the pastors of that day. So these guys have studied the scriptures. These guys have read the prophecies. These guys are actually waiting, anticipating the coming Messiah. And here they have Jesus in flesh and blood right in front of them. You think maybe the fact that he could actually heal someone might have been a clue. But no, they have Jesus right in front of them, the thing that they're waiting for. And all they can do, because they've gone so numb, is talk about what day of the week he healed someone on. I think Jesus looked at this man's pain that he was in with compassion. And I think he looked at the man's shame that he was carrying with indignance. Jesus breaks the rules. He reaches out and touches a man because he feels so deeply for him. Does anyone want to feel again? Is there anyone here this morning who would say, I want to feel again. I can see the places in me where I've started to go numb. I can realize I don't have the same type of feeling that's at the appropriate level as someone else who's in the same situation. Is there anyone here this morning who would say, I want to start to feel again? I don't know why Jesus was indignant. The scripture doesn't specifically tell us, so I can't say with certainty. But I can't help but wonder if Jesus was mad because he knew that this man was about to go out and do the very thing that he told him not to do. It wasn't like Jesus gave him tons of rules and said, like, you can't do any of this stuff. There was just one thing that Jesus told him not to do. Jesus said, I want you to go out from here and don't tell anyone what I did to you. Don't tell anyone I healed you. And Jesus knew that this man was about to go out and do the very thing, the one thing that he told him not to do. Kind of reminds me of another time in the Bible where Jesus told some people, you can eat whatever you want, but just don't eat this one fruit. Jesus knew that this man was about to go do the very thing, the one thing that he told him not to do. But Jesus touched him anyway. Jesus touched him anyway. Jesus knew that you and I would struggle with the remnants of sin in our life. He knew you and I would struggle with addiction. He knew you and I would struggle with sin, but he touched us anyway. Can anybody say thank you, Lord, that he touched you anyway? Jesus knew that you would be struggling with the very things, wrestling with the situations you're wrestling with right now. And he touched you anyway. Jesus knew some of you would even deny the fact that he ever touched you in the first place. But he touched you anyway. I can't really blame the man. I can't really be too, too mad at him for telling everyone what Jesus did. Because when Jesus touches your life, you want to go tell everyone. you got to go tell everyone what Jesus did, Right? But then the Bible says in verse 45 that Jesus could no longer enter a place openly but stayed outside in lonely places. Jesus stayed outside in lonely places. 
when this story started, there was someone who was in a lonely place, and it was the leper. When the story started, the leper was in a lonely place. But by the time the story ends, Jesus is in a lonely place. Jesus didn't only heal this man's skin. Jesus took his place. Jesus not only touched my life, but he took my place. Psalm 68.6 says, God sets the lonely in families. Jesus didn't just touch your life, he took your place. Jesus is looking at each one of you this morning. He's looking at some of you who are in a lonely place yourself, some of you who have isolated yourself. He's looking at you and he says, I won't only touch your situation. I won't only take the broken pieces, the shattered dreams you have, the broken pieces of your life, I won't only take them and put them back together. I will do that, but I'll also take your place. Jesus is looking at the ones of you this morning who find yourself in a lonely place, in a place where you're isolated. And he says, would you come and would you ask me if I'm willing? Would you find that I'm willing so that you can come be a part of the family, have the relationships that I designed you to have that you so desperately need? so that you can feel again. He said, I'll go sit in a lonely place so you don't have to. Would those people ask to pray this morning, would you come forward? Some of you might be in a place this morning where you feel like you lost your identity, like where your identity has become wrapped up in your issue. You've become like consumed by your issue. You've lost the sense of purpose, destiny, calling on your life, and your life has become wrapped up in this thing. It's like, I don't even know who I am anymore. Jesus is asking you this morning if you'll come to him, if you'll make the journey like the man did who had leprosy, and ask him if he's willing. Some of you have been hiding behind screens. Some of you come to church, but you've been faking the funk for too long. You come to church and you put on these screens, you put on your suit and you look nice, you act like your life is all together, but you've been dying on the inside. Some of you have been struggling with pride. I said that this man took a journey to Jesus, but it wasn't just the journey that got him healed. It was that last step of bowing down, that step of humility that positioned him to receive from Jesus. And some of you realize today that you've begun to feel numb on the inside. You've begun to lose the ability to feel. And you'd say, you know what? I want to feel again. I don't want to go through life feeling numb. I want to feel again. I want to be touched by a Savior who can literally feel for me. If that's you this morning, I just want to invite you to come forward. And as you're coming forward... I want you to kind of picture yourself walking through the synagogue like this man did. People looking at you thinking you're crazy. 
people looking at you thinking you're maybe even disgusting. Imagine some of the things that this man was feeling as he came to Jesus. Maybe you want to, as you're taking each step, you want to tell the Lord, say, Lord, I want to be touched by a Savior that can literally feel for me. I want to feel again. I'm sick of hiding behind a screen. I'm sick of faking who I am. So if any of those things uh, connect with you this morning, I just want to invite you to come. And we have some people who are going to pray for you.